Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Appealing, where each week we consider life-changing, thought-provoking conversations that is aimed at bringing healing to you wherever you may be listening to us and on your various podcast platforms. Again, I am your weekly host, Joe Debra, and joining us today again is our dear reverend and mentor, the very reverend Samuel Osam Diodu. Friends, you are aware Reverend uh, Dr. Samuel Osam Diodu is a second minister right now in Mount Sinai Methodist Church in Dawonya Apienya Circuit in Tema, Ghana. This is in the Tema Diocese of the Methodist Church, Ghana. He has his doctorate in ministry and he is a civil engineer by trade. He has a passion for God and he is so motivated always to mentor the younger generation and to point out Christ. Friends, it will be a pleasure for us to have a conversation with Dr. Samuel Osam Diodu today. So, Reverend Dr. Osam Diodu, uh, thank you for joining us again on Hour of Healing. Thank you, Doc, for having me. Wonderful. Yeah, so today we are talking about the all-important topic, Christocentricity. You know, a few years ago, I read an article that was titled The Centrality of the Cross. In this article, the writer um, thus posed the question to both believers and non-believers that the cross has become the center of not just everything for the Christian, but also in the secular world, the center of various arguments and debates and things of that nature. It influences what people eat. It influences how people dress. It influences how people behave. And so today we are looking at this because as I reflected on this topic and uh, very Reverend uh, Dr. Osam Diodu and I have had bits and pieces of conversations about this topic over the um, months or years that we've known each other. And then I can't help but ask myself, what really is Christocentricity about? Is it just a theological term or it's more of a practical term? That's what we'll be diving in today. So, very reverend, can you please, as we start our conversation today, kind of put in words to the plain or the lay person what Christocentricity is all about? Yeah, thank you, uh, Doctor, for having me once again. I'm not surprised that um, the cross is the center of everything. Even looking at the members of the cross, we have the vertical member and then the horizontal. So the vertical has to do with our connection with heaven, with God. And the horizontal has to do with our connection one with another. So I'm not surprised that you said it's the center of everything. But in plain terms, you may want to refer to it as what? Being the center, Christ being the center of everything. You simply cannot take him out of the equation. You simply just cannot do uh, without him. Christ is a difference maker from A to Z. He comes into the equation. Wherever you look at it from, you simply cannot do without him. And the Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 5, that without me, you can do nothing. And it means just that. It means just that. Yeah. 
So take the Bible at uh, face value. No yes. ifs, ands, or buts. It means exactly what it says. Um, so uh, uh, I, I had encountered in the past, uh, some say uh, Christocentricity is a, um, a, a theological concept um, that kind of talks about the personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus Christ is the center of God's uh, plan for salvation. But from the short answer you just gave us, uh, it seems to me that it has to be more than just salvation. So can you uh, kind of elaborate a little bit more on this for us so we can dive into uh, further questions from there? It is so true that Jesus Christ is God's answer for salvation. And for us to understand the whole concept of it, in the wisdom of God, we have it outlined in the scriptures from the first book, the Bible. It's a way to help humanity to understand because we are dealing with the infinite God. We are dealing with, yeah, we are finite and he's infinite. So in his wisdom, God all wise, he had to start from somewhere and work us into it until we could fully appreciate it. So from the very first book in the Bible, we see it there displayed through the second book. For every book of the Bible has a revelation of Christ. And you could see that God was just trying to work humanity to a point that we can accept Christ. He is God's answer for salvation. As typified even in his name. The name Jesus means Savior. You shall call him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. So then in the um, practical life, uh, uh, Reverend, and in, in practice, how would we go about exemplifying this? In other words, how does Christocentricity um, view itself or exhibit itself in practice uh, whether through Christian doctrine, Christian practice, or Christian life. So it first uh, begins with an encounter with him. Somebody has to introduce the whole idea of Christ. And that is the duty of the church. Mm. The duty of the church is to propagate, is to witness to Christ and make Christ accessible. People should be able to have, it, it's one thing having a head knowledge about mm. him. Yeah, it's one thing having, and yet another having a personal encounter, bringing him into the reality of the situation. When he ceases to be just a historical figure, but someone you can relate to on personal basis. And that is the duty of the church, bringing us to that point where individuals can have that knowledge of him and to relate to him because we see our state uh, that he is the only solution to our problem. And that's the problem of sin. Maybe we are going to get there, ultimately. <laughs> because while you have sinned, you wouldn't the Savior. And the Savior is Christ. Wow, wow. So again, the, the, the huge responsibility that uh, we bear as Christians um, is one thing to know about Jesus being a Savior and the other thing to... Uh, be the one to propagate uh, Christ being the savior of the whole world in the sense of dealing with the problem of sin, which um, I believe the Methodist hymn says that 
is the greatest or uh, the most impossible thing of all mm-hmm. that we should be able to seize away from sin. But yeah. Christ makes that possible for us. Thank you so much for uh, that answer, um, uh, very Reverend Dr. And Dr. you know what? It's, it's, it's more than just know about Christ. Use that expression, know about him. Yes, it's one thing, know about him. It's much more to do with experiencing him. Is he once you experience him, he becomes so real that you simply cannot do without him. Mm. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance, there's a song that we sing in the Methodist. Uh, this is my story, this is my song. Like the blind man, the guy was born blind in John chapter 9. I said, I don't know about Jesus. One thing I know, that I was blind. But since I met him, I have uh, So it's more of an experience which will drive you on. That this is my story. It's not something I've just acquired in my head. I've learned in school, but something I've experienced in my life. Yeah, so um, uh, thank you so much for that, um, uh, Reverend. And I think uh, when it comes to the experience part, it's where I personally um, think that sometimes Christians, we tend to falter a little bit. And I will clarify that um, and and lead on to our next question. So I've had encounters with uh, people who do not uh, believe in Jesus as their Savior, and a classic example was when um, a co-worker not too long ago shared with me that they had encountered someone who had come to uh, them. So let's say a grocery store person, uh, a salesperson, had someone who came to them. And as they uh, came in and they were rendering their services to them, the customer asked the sales personnel that, are you a Christ, um, are you a Christian? And then she says, no. And the customer says, well, I don't like you because you're not a Christian. And when this got to me, or when I heard of this, I was um, very disturbed by it because in my opinion, it goes against or contrary to basically everything we're talking about so far and what I believe uh, the journey or the life of a Christian ought to be. And so can you share some light on uh, this phenomenon as well, how we translate the concept or the perspective of Christocentricity into our daily lives to the point where we are not putting people in such situations where we don't like them because uh, one or one day not Christians. Yeah, that, that's an interesting um, situation. You see, the, the 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 individual has to come to the saving knowledge of Christ mm-hmm. and then grow through the process. We have different levels of growth. And according to your level of growth, so shall be your responses to situations in life. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt what you are saying. It can happen. But that only determines maybe the level of growth. Because if the growth is not is not that uh, matured, you could do some of these things. Because at the end of the day, talking about Christ in your life is about exemplifying Christ. The Christ who could even make himself available to be hosted by Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. The Christ who called Matthew to follow him. Yes. 
the Christ who could relate to Mary Magdalene. So it takes the level of maturity, you see, for you to understand that come just as you are. There's a song we sing in the Methodist Church, uh, just as I am without one plea. Understand the person when she encountered the love of God, wanted to go back and fix herself and then come refined. Said, no, no, come just as you are. Because in the kingdom is a place for harlots. It's a place for all kinds of, but as we come, we are touched by the love of God. And that love transforms us. But I didn't change, because I didn't change before I came in. I came in just as I was, and the transformation took place. So we are encouraged to come, get people to come just as they are. We, we are not there to condemn. It is not our duty. But as I said, it's according to the level of growth or maturity that will determine how you respond to some of these things. So it's unfortunate that it happened, but then that is not the way we should go about it. We are supposed to be there for all to see the love of God through us. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, I, I believe um, just some time ago, we were, uh, I was sharing this very same hymn uh, with a, a colleague of mine or a friend of mine, I should say. And I was saying basically to them that if the church that's what we are called to do. Our Sunday services should reflect more like an inpatient hospital service. Mm -hmm. And they said, why? And I said, well, when I go to work in an inpatient setting, there is there are people there who are sick. I go yeah. to see people who are sick, who are in need of a physician, not people who are well. And I think the church is called to do that. The church is called to save those who are sick, those who are lost, those who are perplexed, those who are hopeless. And so uh, in, a, in an ideal situation, our Sunday services, our pews should be filled with all these people. The cripple has to come to our church believing and expecting to go home walking in the same way the lost should come to our churches believing and expecting that they will leave having encountered Jesus, the hopeless, um, should come with the expectation that they will leave having received something that they cannot in their self or within themselves um, do for themselves. So I think that really does um, emphasize what um, personally my belief about how Christians ought to live um, uh, uh, is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Reverend, um, thank you so much for that. I will um, uh, go ahead and ask the, uh, this question then, uh, because if we are supposed to live a transformed life based on our experience, as you are sharing with us today, which I think, by the way, is great information that you've given us, then I believe that Christocentricity um, ought to influence the Christian's approach to ethical and social issues, especially in a day and age like this. There's no way I can uh, imagine any Christian living in a social isolation or vacuum outside the uh, social and the ethical issues, the racial issues, the political issues. So how does the Christian, first of all, um, go about uh, receiving all these or uh, receiving all these things and then how do we from that standpoint of uh being christocentric respond to them 
It's a long question, you know. So we're going to attempt it. <laughs> you see, we, we, we keep reminding ourselves that Christianity is a way of life. Yes. It's just a way of life. Just live it. And also remind ourselves that the church is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So the church is supposed to reveal Christ. If you're looking for Christ, you have to see Christ through the church. When Christ was having an encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, when I am lifted up, like it happened in the wilderness in the days of Moses, when I am, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I'm going to draw all men unto myself. So the church's duty is to lift up Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, to live Jesus, to let the whole world know that he is the reason for everything. Everything revolves around him. Okonko would tell us in his book, if the center does not hold, things will fall apart. So Christ becomes the reason. I love you because of Christ. I, I do everything I do because of He's the reason for why I do what I do. And the moment you can get there, both in word and in deed, in our actions and inactions, we are portraying Christ. I was telling someone that I preached yesterday at church, being the first Sunday of, 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 the, of the month, and I was telling them how many minutes could I even spend in preaching? Max of about 40 minutes, max. So what happens to the rest of the minutes in the week? I'll preach with my life. As you observe me from a distance, the way I talk, the way I'm marrying, the way I'm managing my family, they are all part of my preaching. And do you see Christ in all of these? Yeah, because those words, those verbal presentations are done just in a matter of 40 minutes. After that, what happens next? All the hours of the week, what happens? So in actions and inactions, in our words and deeds, we are portraying Christ. And in the process, we conscientize society that it's all about Christ. We are conscientizing them. What is the secret? I mean, the man had a transformation in John chapter 9. All of them knew that he was born blind. But what happened? Said so there was there was an encounter. There was an encounter. So once we conscientize society, they may want to come to us. What is the secret? And in the process, we let them know that the secret is Christ. Wow. Wow. Well, Reverend, I can't help but to ask a, a prompt follow-up question. Um, because uh, through my SU days and my youth days, I have encountered this statement a lot. And I believe uh, you being a minister, I'm pretty sure you've encountered this statement before as well. And uh, that is uh, that people say, and it's not people who are unbelievers, um, we're talking about Christians here. Um, Christians say that uh, Christianity is all about the heart. God knows my heart. So <laughs> how does this um, play in there? Because I think what you are saying, I, in my young Christian life, I believe that's what Christianity ought to be about. If you are a preacher, great. But even if you don't stand in a pulpit to preach somewhere, your life ought to preach. Um, there is this famous quote uh, that uh, you may be the only Jesus that somebody see, 
or the only Bible that somebody ever reads. And I take that statement to heart. I believe that's what we ought to do. We have to live out Christ. But you encounter many people in church who we would say are believers because they say so, who say that Christianity is about the heart. So then it goes against the, all the other menace in the day that you are not in the pulpit preaching or giving a verbal word. And so how do we respond to those as well? Yeah, that is true. It is of the heart because out of the heart flows the issues of life. It is so true. But then it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop there. Because at the end of the day, it's only God that can read your heart. Mm. In First Samuel chapter 16, some of the prophets were sent to the house of Jesse to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. And when he got there, from human perspective, he made his own choices. Because Samuel, though a prophet, was limited. He could not read the heart of the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if talking about the heart, how many can read our hearts? Even someone could not read the hearts of God, the children of Jesse. It's only God. So let what is in your heart come out. That let your light so shine before men that men will see your good works. Because how many can read our hearts? Samuel measured it in the house of Jesse. It took God's intervention because only God can read our hearts. But the good news is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So verbally and non-verbally, once the heart is right. So that statement is true to an extent. But then a true encounter with God, which affects the heart, will produce good results. A true encounter so I can say it, but if I'm not exhibiting it, then I'm just saying it for myself. It is not real. Because a real encounter with the transformation of the heart will reflect on the lifestyle I will live. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. And that reminds me of uh, James, uh, who says that um, if you say you have faith, but do not yeah. have any works, then yeah. your faith is dead. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, Dear listeners, uh, I hope you are uh, still following us because the the things that uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Samuel or Sam Diodu is giving us today, I believe is going to impact not just your life, but will transform uh, your entire family and your generation. He says that out of the abundance of the heart, which is directly from the Bible, flows the issues of life. And so if the heart is transformed, then it will be experiential you will see the fruits of it physically and so when you start talking about or when you start hearing about christianity is of the heart yes we not say they are wrong for saying that but what has happened the transformation that has happened in the heart the uh, uh, what has to be exhibited in the flesh because like reverend said if you are the salt of the world how will the world even know if you are tasty, if they can't see or if they can't taste it, if you are the light, how can they know you are shining Christ if they can't see the light? So um, we hope you are following us as we continue this uh, uh, life-changing conversation. So, Reverend, we've talked about the way uh, the, 
how you we perceive the, uh, from a Christocentric perspective, how we perceive or how we see social and ethical issues. Now, I think your answer did miss how we respond to it. <laughs> so how do we respond to the social dilemmas that uh, we face today from a Christocentric uh, perspective? It's interesting, you know, when you become a Christian, a true sense of it, living the life becomes more of a natural phenomenon. Mm. You don't struggle. Doc, believe you me, when you are genuinely touched, you just have to cooperate and like, is it Galatians chapter 2? The life I now live, I live by the right. Son of God who lives in me. It, it, it comes out naturally, supernaturally. You don't struggle. You know, you don't struggle to live if you are healthy. I'm talking about a physical life. If you are healthy, you do things naturally. The same thing applies. And John Wesley had this to say that we have the, uh, the, uh, the social dimension to the gospel. For instance, last Saturday, we went to the hospital as a church to make some donations. It's a social dimension because the gospel is people-centered. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about looking for people to help. It's unlike what we, you were a doctor, you don't come knocking at our doors and uh, ask for patients to help. You don't, you don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. But we come to you with our problems. But Jesus was doing the other way around. He went about the social dimension because, and when he comes, we understand from the Gospel of Matthew that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats and tell the sheep, I was sick, you visited. I was in prison. I was naked. I was homeless. That's the social dimension. We live the gospel. We look for opportunities to let the love of Christ be felt by fellow human beings. And that is how we respond. And the needs are always with us. You know, Jesus made a statement in John 12 that the poor will always be with us. So the needs are always with us. The needs are just have to open your eyes wide. And then you see them all around us. And as many as you can uh, meet by the grace of God, you make yourself available and God will do the rest through you. Wonderful, wonderful. And I think this statement is so profound. The life that is truly transformed is not difficult to live because it only takes cooperation with the Spirit of God. Thank you so much for uh, that revelation, uh, Reverend. So I, I know we, we have to start wrapping up, um, but I want to ask how, from a Christocentric perspective, um, how do we dialogue or engage with other people of other religious traditions? Uh, how are we able to dialogue and engage with them? Because I believe that um, uh, if uh, our news tells us anything, so many people... Um, so many issues stem up when there is that uh, attempt to engage with others of other religious traditions. So from a Christocentric perspective, how do we approach that? Yeah, that's a very important question because um, the tendency is to go with a judgmental attitude, but we shouldn't. 
you live Christ. So the love of God and they themselves will come to terms of reality that this is not natural. And in the process, they would want to find out what exactly is the secret. So don't go with an attitude to want to judge them or to pass judgment. You demonstrate the love of God. You see, according to Paul's letter to uh, the church in Galatia, he said, this is the fruit of the Spirit, and there's no law against it. There's no law enacted against love, peace, joy, the fruit of the Spirit. So as you're living the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to attract, like Jesus Christ, he was there for everyone. The woman was caught in adultery. They brought her to Christ, wanting to stone her to death. Say, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. So we have to guard against going with that judgmental attitude, but go with open arms, expressing the love of God. And believe you me, the love of God will do the rest of the work. Wonderful, wonderful. Reverend, one last question for you before we uh, take your final thoughts. Um, so you, you have, um, throughout our conversation today, uh, made it very clear to us, uh, our listeners, how important demonstrating the love of God is. Uh, can you give us uh, one or two practical ways of demonstrating this love to the unbeliever so that we will be able to reap the uh, fruits of this? The central text of the Bible, I believe, is uh, John chapter 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. So I have tried to define love out of this text. Love is being others-centered. Love is being others-centered. And you can show it both, um, should I say, in secret and in the open. If I care for you, I'm going to pray for you, even without your knowledge. Yeah, yeah I'll pray for you, without, even without your knowledge. So I'm caring for you in secret, and God knows it all. And then be looking out for how I can help you. I can help in the sense that that doesn't mean I am without a problem. I have a problem. But I've decided to shelve mine and look for ways and means. Because there is no human being who doesn't need help. There is no, there's only one El Shaddai. I, I keep convincing myself. Everyone needs help in one way or the other. So the Spirit of God can help you to identify an area of need in someone's life. In, uh, in our passage, the Gospel for yesterday's sermon, we were led to Matthew chapter 10, 40 to 42. And the, the passage says, if you give a cup of cold water to a disciple, so it can be as simple as just a cup of cold water. Simple, simple things. And then if over time, the big things should come your way. But you got to start from somewhere. Look out for the needs in people's life and see how best you can meet them if you are able. Wow, wow. So um, uh, what I am gathering from your answer is that uh, the, the love of God uh, to demonstrate it is demonstrated by giving. That yeah. the love of God gives. Uh, yeah. Love thank gives. You so much. That is very, very profound. 
Reverend, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Hour of Healing. Um, before we end the show, I always give uh, my guests the opportunity to speak um, directly to our audience um, and share with them what God has placed on their heart, um, because I believe that uh, without any doubt in my mind and in my spirit, that when we have conversations like this, it is the spirit of God who helps us to be able to do so. So any final words for our audience today, Reverend? Thank you once again for giving me this opportunity to share these wonderful thoughts uh, together. Um, I remember what happened at the beautiful gate in Acts of the Apostles chapter 3. Peter and John said to the cripple, what we have is what we are giving you. In effect, you can't give what you don't have. So if you can give Christ, you have to first own him. And that is possible. The writer says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You have to first own him. Then you can give him. The owning him is where the challenge comes from. Once you own him, you can give him out. And according to the hymn writer, it is possible. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. So Peter and John said, we, do, we cannot give you what you don't have. But such as we have, we are given. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And because they had Jesus, the power that goes with it, they demonstrated it. So the challenge is that let us own him. Christ can be owned. And once we own him, it becomes quite very easy to let him go for others. So please own Christ and you can give Christ in Jesus' name. Wonderful, Amen. wonderful. Thank <laughs> you so much. Uh, very Reverend Dr. Samuel Osam Diodu, uh, who, dear listeners, joined us today from the motherland, Ghana, West Africa, uh, in Tamar Diocese, uh, in the Dawenya Epienya circuit of the Methodist Church, Ghana. Um, I, I can't uh, help but emphasize a few things that he said. Um, uh, obviously, his parting words to us sums it all up, that you cannot give what you don't have. You have to possess Jesus. You have to have him in order to give uh, him to the rest of the world. But also remember, the transformed heart has to exhibit itself in the physical life. We cannot live a transformed life when the physical or the life that we live for others to see our visible witness to the world is lacking. So that is very, very important that we take these things uh, with us. And also remember, this was a topic centered on Christocentricity, that is having Christ at the center of it all. Without him in the center, everything falls apart as he rightly quoted for us from Chenua Achebe's Okonko. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners, on this wonderful day for uh, a discussion on this all-important topic. We will be meeting you again same time next week, Tuesday, as we bring you another life-changing and thought-provoking topic. Again, this was Hour of Healing. God bless you for listening. Bye-bye.